Welcome to Every Step Podcast. I'm Christina Weston. And I'm Judith Beck. Every Step is the podcast where career and life meet. With a new guest every episode, we explore the gutsy issues affecting everyone in the workplace. Today on Every Step, we have another great topic to explore together. We're diving into the world of taking your experience to the next level. It's a journey that many of us embark on after a successful corporate career, and it often involves us going out on our own, starting a consulting business, starting a business completely different from your corporate career, writing a book, or sometimes even all of these. Joining Judith and I today is Andrew Griffiths, who has often been described as an entrepreneurial futurist. So, Andrew, how do we future-proof ourselves? It's, 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 hello, ladies and uh, and listeners. Lovely to be on the show with you. And it's such a such a beautiful question, and and it seems like it, it deserves a, a little one line answer. But it's because it's like most things, it, it's extraordinarily complex. But let's try and make it a little bit simpler. I guess is what I'd really want to say. There, there's a fabulous quote that I that I you know throw around left, right, and center by Alvin Toffler, and and it's the illiterate of the 21st century won't be those who can't read or write, but those who can't learn, unlearn, and relearn. Mm-hmm. And 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 that to me feels very poignant when it comes to future proofing our, ourselves. I. I I look at myself, I've been an entrepreneur doing what I do for 40 years. And through that time, I uh, have seen, like like any of us who've been in business for quite some time, the ups and downs, the economic challenges, the political upheavals, the global challenges. It, it, there's so much of that in that um, period of, of time that, that it's all really it's always about how do you survive that? How do you thrive in that? How do you future-proof yourself in, in all of that? And, and I think that that it that it often takes us to be wise enough to learn from each of those that that next time it happens, we're we're better prepared. And this constant adaption and evolution and this making sure that we're staying relevant become the the kind of three elements that I really look at. That, that I say, you know, you've got to kind of constantly be adapting you got to kind of constantly be evolving and and you've just got to be staying relevant to your audience because if we're not doing those particular those three things the minute we lose relevance the minute we're too slow to adapt and evolve whatever we're doing it doesn't really matter uh we've lost then we're playing catch up then we never quite um we never quite get there and that's kind of the definition of future proofing right no matter what happens we're able to uh, to survive and thrive in that new environment um that's probably my initial thoughts around how i would kind of describe this and that's what i'm i guess i spend a lot of my time talking to people mainly in the entrepreneurial space but a lot of people who are corporate escapees organizations even industries they'll get me to perhaps come and talk at a conference and say well what do we as an industry need to do to still be here in 10 years time and uh and it does come back to the same things which you know adapt evolve and stay relevant just again nice throwaway lines but they all have such big big meaning about them as well yeah absolutely that piece about continuing to learn I think is 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 critical and mm. I know from my perspective I've changed industries a couple of times and people would go wow you were in financial services and now you're in transport how how did that happen and it's about staying curious it's about continuing to learn uh, it's about continuing to have conversations and stay engaged and 
and understand and, and look to see where the future is is coming and make yourself relevant for whatever is for whatever is coming. It's a great word, curious, in there. If you turn around and and I get asked this often, like what's that one attribute that helps you with being future proofed? It is without a doubt curiosity. That there's, I'm a ridiculously curious person, and I think by by nature, not it wasn't necessarily something that I had worked on. I don't really think, but just curious, and I'm curious about everything, and and I think when you do have that curious kind of um, way of thinking. That, that you want to know how things work. You want to know how things don't work. You want to know um, about people, about places, et cetera. The curiosity serves as this wonderful fuel to, to really keep you moving, you know, mo- moving forward to do that adapt, evolve and stay relevant kind of a, a, a model. And, and I think that we get so caught up at times that we're, we're always inwardly focused and we're we're, we're caught there, whereas curiosity needs to almost be outwardly focused. Such So does adapt, evolve, and staying relevant. You know, you don't really do that always looking inwards. You've got to be looking outwards as well. And uh, and, and I think that that, that 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 becomes a part of this whole um, self-fulfilling kind of process of future-proofing. It, it, it's not something that we do passively. I, I don't think either, Christina, you yeah. know, to, to answer it. I, I think there's a consciousness about it. I've seen plenty of businesses that you know you, you look at at covid as what's just happened a lot of businesses that didn't survive you know a lot of older businesses that didn't survive and if you boil it down did covid send them broke not really they were always going to go broke it just covid just sped things up and we've and seen the, some huge businesses go bust i mean we've seen crazy. some huge global franchises that have been around for decades and decades go bust recently and it does really come back to that point that it's very easy to have a whipping boy like COVID, but the reality was that their models were broken, they weren't adapting and evolving, they'd lost relevance with their customers, all that kind of thing. That Then it's just a matter of time. Whether you're an individual or an industry, it's the same thing. Once you lose that, those things, you're not adapting, not evolving, losing relevance, it is only a matter of time till you're no longer needed. And uh, And so did COVID make that happen? No, it just sped things up. Just made it happen faster yeah, for people. We realised that that place was not as relevant, you know, as before because something better came along. And that can be, you know, that that same philosophy can be said as an individual. So not only are companies aren't totally. keeping their relevance, as an individual, you know, someone in corporate, if they're still not, if they're not evolving and keeping their relevance and, you know, um, challenging themselves then when they are ready to make the change or let's say they do they are made redundant and they've been in a role for 20 years and now they want to um change careers they're not ready for it because they haven't done the they haven't done the hard work or the work required to keep that um relevance going on so what are some of the things do you think that um people who are in that sort of change zone, I mean, when they are in the sort of thirties, forties, where they're thinking, I like, I like your term, corporate escapees, that mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> then go on and they're taking their experience. They want to take their experience to that next level, and they've got all these good, good things they've done in their career, but now they want to take it to the next level, and and work for themselves and do and start their own business, right? That's yeah. the thing. 
It's really, really, it's a great question because I've worked with a lot of people in a coaching role and and a lot of a lot of corporate escapees buy my books and things like that to figure out how to do it because it's a completely different world, right? Absolutely. Which, which, which you ladies know and many of your listeners know, you corporate uh, being being successful in a corporate space gives you credibility without a doubt, but it doesn't really give you the skill set to run your own business. Spot on. And, and and that's really the biggest challenge. So most of the people that I work with, it's normally after they've been out on their own for a year and they're kind of, it, it isn't working. And it's not about their, their their skills or their knowledge or their expertise, which is normally bloody awesome. It's that they don't know how to use zero. It's that they don't know how to how to sell themselves. It's that they don't know how to how to, you know, how to deal with uncertainty. One of the biggest things you have to be able to deal with when you're an entrepreneur or a business owner, you've got to get comfortable with uncertainty because you don't know what's going to happen next week. You're going to be able to pay the rent next week. I hope so. I don't know. I, you know, there's plenty of weeks over my history when I haven't paid the rent. So, so th- there's different things that that no one is prepared for when when they leave that corporate space, and 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 that takes quite an adaption and. You know, again, you've got to be able to say, well, I also had a team. I had a marketing department. I had an ops piece. I had this. I had a personal assistant. Now I'm it. I'm all of those things all rolled into one. And and it's like, well, okay, you know, how do I use Canva? You know, how do, how, how do I use, you know, how, how, do, how do I set up? How do I do Zoom calls? I'm yeah. used to using Teams. How and do there's I use no Zoom tech now? support. No, no tech support. Not, I'll, I'll read the IT department. You know, they'll, they'll come and do that. <laughs> So, so there's this whole pile of skills that are completely unrelated to your ability, expertise, et cetera. So, so I think walking into it knowing that at least is a really good start because I do think that there's a little bit of, at times, arrogance in when in a corporate space, someone leaves and goes, well, I, I got this. I'm going to that space. Everyone will buy from me. Everyone will do this. Everyone will do that because I'm awesome. You, go, you are. But if you can't run your business, you don't know how to bill, you don't know how to charge, you don't know how to manage your books, you don't know how to have your own corporate responsibilities, financial responsibilities, you don't know how to manage VAs if you're using a VA, don't know how to use tech, don't know how to... The best consultant in the world these days is looks inept and lacking in any kind of credibility if they can't do some of those basics. So, so the skill set that got you to be successful in corporate is a small part of what's going to make you successful as an entrepreneur. And I think just accepting that, that you've got to learn stuff is a really smart thing. That's where I do smart people making that corporate escape that I've seen. They do get someone to coach them through the business side, not to teach them how to do what they do, but how to be on the receipt, how to run a business. Because it's it's really hard. It's really hard. It's all those business things, but it's also there's a big psychological shift and and you touched on that. Mm. The biggest shift is actually a psychological one, especially mm. if you had positional power in your corporate environment. Right. And now right. and now you're actually having to be the rainmaker and you don't have that positional power. And it's so as you said, being uncomfortable with uncertainty is huge, is <laughs> massive. It, it's and hard. So a lot of times they get out and they think all oh, those that people are going to deal with them. Oh, I'll I'll do this new new um, venture or develop this new product, and all these people will will of course come going to yeah, of course are going to um, buy what I have or buy, or use my service, and they get a big shock finding out that no people aren't 
people were dealing with you before because you were in a high level position at that company. They might not have liked you because you burnt your bridges. And so then when you go out on your own, you get a rude, a rude awakening if you haven't developed good relationships and a good reputation. And you go out and you think, oh, exactly. people are going, I'll go on the speaking circuit or, you know, I'll do this or I'll do that. And they don't. And they don't put the preparation in before, do they? And it's exactly right. It is one of those things that you're different you're a different beast when when you're you know the head head of marketing for Hewlett Packard you leave and now you're running your own marketing company and it's like you're going well exactly all those people will will kind of buy my services but the thing is though too as you know in a corporate space and I've encountered this working for corporates as well they're a little bit concerned if it's just you you know, like Correct. what happens if they engage you and then tomorrow you have a heart attack? What happens if you don't deliver? You're a risk. If you, you got to be very, very good at selling yourself if it's just you, you know. Um, now, getting a speaking engagement for an event, it's a little bit different. You're there for an hour. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're a smaller part. But to do like a 12-month piece of work that is involving all the rest of it, I, I found – yeah, with I, I work for many, many big corporates, had them as clients over the years from the European Union to the Hewlett Packard, CBSs, Telstra's, all those kind of places. And that conversation has come up time and time again. Like, what other resources do you have? What happens if you can't, you know, deliver on that? And it's like, wow, I never really thought about that as a as a risk factor. So your risk factors change when you leave the protection of the organization and you're standing alone. So that's where we've got to be doing things that are, that are that are very very smart and very strategic you've got to build an extraordinary personal brand you know like world class like i my branding i've spent a lot of time and energy and money on building my personal brand so that organizations like european union hewlett packard etc will do business with me you know you you've got to um have really you've got to be across tech Whatever level that is, and I think most corporate people probably are more across tech than than, than others in some respects. But you know, you, you can't be bumbling on how to use platforms when that's how you're delivering. You know, you, you've got to you've got to understand that shift from being a consultant to being on a salary. You know, and and the mindset of a client. You know, what what was your mindset when you used contractors before? You know, like um, th th there's a lot of that shift, I think, that has to happen um, for, to be successful. And, of course, plenty of people do it. it. It's just I think our conversation here is about going into it with open eyes. Absolutely. So you, you, you're not going to go into a bit arrogant about it or, or kind of go, well, because I was successful in corporate, there's no guarantee you'll be successful in a small business, you know, and vice versa, of course. It works the other way, uh, you know, entirely. And being comfortable asking for the money. Um, oh. A lot of people, when they go out on their own, they're not comfortable having conversations around money and they're not comfortable about pricing their value. And they often underprice their value Completely. and underprice their worth and underprice the number of hours it actually takes to do a job. So they end up giving a lot away for free. And that, that comes with self-confidence, building self-confidence, and it comes with experience. It's very true, I, I, and it's an interesting point that you raise because a small business owners generally are not good about talking about money. You know, we we, we don't want to have the money conversations because because you're buying me, you're buying me as a product or service or, or something. Particularly, 
when you are consulting or advising in some shape or form or whatever it is. And it's a really interesting kind of point. Whereas, as you know, in the corporate space, the money conversation is actually transactional. It's like it's either in the budget, it's not. They're going to try and negotiate because that's what they do. That's you know, it's you know, their money means they've got to have an outcome. So if their money can go further, which increases their chance of getting an outcome, they will do that. But I generally find that 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 it's such a such a functional piece of the conversation um, that that there's whereas we as business owners tend to be quite emotional about. It. And I, I remember I, I was negotiating on a job with News Corp to do a speaking job for them in, uh, and it was a series of like five presentations across uh, Perth. Um, to promote something rather. And and I remember we spent like two or three months to negotiate a fee on this thing. It was like, it was a really hard negotiation. It was like, in the end, it was like, dude, I'm losing interest in doing this. This is like, I'm spending more time negotiating than I'm going to spend in Perth delivering these presentations. Anyway, we finally agreed on, on a price and I can't really remember what it was, but let's say it was like 25 grand to do this particular project. On the last conversation when they just agreed to go, I said, oh, by the way, we're going to see 2,000 people. Do you want to buy a copy um, of a book to give everyone? They said, oh, yeah, it's a great idea. And that was um, $25 a book that I sold it to. So it's 50 grand. And the guy said, yeah, okay, fine. Here's a purchase order number. Just send that through. So we spent weeks and weeks and weeks trying to negotiate on this lesser thing. But to spend 50 grand on books, it was a 13-second conversation. And I had to call him on it. I said, why the hell do we take so long to negotiate on that? You just spent 50 grand in a heartbeat. And he said, oh, because that money comes out of training resources and I've got 300 grand in a budget there that I've got to spend in the next month. We might buy another 2,000 books for next year, for the next thing. And and you've got to understand how corporate works, I guess, when you're looking back the other way um, yeah. as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because the, the different budgets and the different people. I know it's really funny, but I always think that, um, a people appreciate as well if you're upfront with your fees. Absolutely. You know, it's like this is, you know, instead of um, sort of keeping it all airy fairy, it's like these are my fees. I'd rather, I'd rather know, I'd rather a quick no than a long drawn out process. And later on they say, exactly. oh no, that's too much. No, here's my fee. This yeah. is what it is. And I, I actually learned that lesson a long time ago. Before I started my executive search firm, I worked for an executive search firm for about eight months. Mm -hmm. And the guy that I worked for, he said, I, I need you to go into this. It was a bank. And he goes, and this is the job. And it's going to be a third, 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 whatever the percentage was at the time. This is what you need to charge them. And I was like, I can't ask them for a retainer up front. I haven't done anything yet. And he goes, Judith, he goes, ask he goes sell that structure if they say no then come back and we'll talk about it mm -hmm. but if they say yes do it again <laughs> anyway and i went yeah. in there and i said our fee is a third 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 up front blah 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 and they go yeah no problem and yeah. it was like okay and they were appreciative and from then on it was like because his view was when you don't do that which is true you're not valuing what you do absolutely and if you don't value it why should they if you don't value it, why should they not? Why should they value it? Well, and that's the interesting part again, right? Of talking about leaving a corporate space 
and and starting your own advisory consulting, whatever you might want to do. Often you're not actually even used to having those money conversations because it's handled by another part of the business. You, you'd have an idea on budgets, but you're not sitting across from someone and selling them this and do they buy it or not buy it generally. It's another function within the business. It's sales function or, or whatever it might be. It, it's very different to have those conversations. And that's why for me, one of the big veins of my life and why I do so much work in this area of charging what you're worth is because the vast majority of small business owners are absolutely terrible at charging what they're worth. And they're absolutely terrible about asking for money. I encounter businesses that are so marginal financially, yet the business owner is so good at what they do and, and they work their butts off. And you go, man, what, you know, becomes learned helplessness. It's like, well, I can't charge more because of all this, you know, talk up here, self-worth. Um, self-worth. Everyone, you know, no one, you know, these, these, these blanket statements, you know, the market's turned. No one is going to buy anything. No one's going to, you know, rah, rah. And, and also what we've learned from previous bosses that, that you know, or, or previous people that have been, you know, role models for us. Poverty mentality is yeah. is very, very strong you know, in, in the small business space. And and it's a part of the reason why we don't have a very resilient small business culture in Australia, you know, w- without a doubt, you know, we've been through tough times over the years, et cetera. And again, you know, it, that worries me in Australia. How many small business Absolutely. owners have got 12 months worth of cash in the bank? I, I'd say if, if no, 5%. Yeah. Yeah, not even. And and on top of that, I ask all the time, who knows exactly how much it costs to operate your business per hour, you know, in in a room or per day, even per month, even per year. And and if I get five percent of people who could answer that question in a room, I'm impressed. I, I also ask the question, how many of you feel that you charge you don't charge enough for what you do? You know, and 95% of people in the room put up their hands. It, it, it's it's amazing some of the challenges in the small business space, but that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's it. What about, um, what about the, I mean, we've all, uh, the idea of, of writing the books. Like I know when I went through it, geez, I wish I would have known about your academy because I definitely would have gone through your academy <laughs> <laughs> when I wrote my book. But, the, you know, because there's always a lot of encouragement about, you um, people saying, oh, write a book because that's your business card and that will add credibility and that type of thing. And I know when I went through it, I wasn't writing it for, um, because I was at the end of my career, so I wasn't writing it for um, to build brand or that kind of stuff. I I was writing it because I wanted to consolidate the experience that I had Mm -hmm. and put put it down on paper, something I always wanted to do. But I always heard this whole, I would always hear this and it drives me absolutely nuts. <laughs> Still hear it today. Oh, you never make money off of writing a book. And, you know, and I, we've even had authors on here before where they've said, you know, they've made like a buck 50 and, you know, dollar 50 to $2 a book. And I'm, and I'm thinking, and that's true, right? <laughs> but, but it's like, my thing is, well, somebody's making money off of it because if a book's 25 to 35 dollars someone's making money off of the those authors of writing the book so Mm. why would someone spend that much time writing a book with the view that they're not going to make money out of that book or lose money i don't know what your thoughts are on that so many thoughts you know i mean (laughs) like so i've been writing books for 25 years and i've written many many books 
books and taught a lot of people, obviously, to write books. The people that I teach to write books are those who want to use the book to build their business. It's their positioning piece. It's their 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 branding, um, etc. But for me as a writer, first and foremost, I'm a commercial writer. And, and what, what I mean by that is I write to make money. Yeah, uh, it, It's not a hobby. It's not a memoir. It's not a um, any of that kind of stuff. It is a commercial part of my business. And um, now, don't get me wrong, I love books. I love writing. I love all of that. But my commercial brain says, I'm only going to write a book that's going to make money. Now, my model around doing that is, is, yes, selling books. I've sold many, many books over the years. And, um, and so you've got to write a book that has commercial appeal, as in, you know, it's, it, it is going to sell. But my model is much more about, I don't actually really care about selling books in bookshops anymore. My, my model is every book to me is a seed and I'm going to get it in the hands of someone and it's going to turn into a $10,000 project. And so for the last 25 years, I've been sowing seeds and uh, it generates millions of dollars a year. Well, not millions of dollars a year, but, it, but it's generated millions of dollars over the years in terms of revenue that has all come from the book. So, so for me, the commerciality of that is, I'm not going to write a book about Himalayan yak farming, you know, <laughs> because I've got an interest in that. I write a book about marketing, about someone's got to charge more. So let's say my latest book, someone's got to be the most expensive. It may as well be you. Off the back of that is obviously my keynote topics. That's what I talk about as a very busy keynote speaker. I have coaching programs. I have uh, online programs. I've got everything else that comes off it. The book sales side of things is a small part of the income. I don't know, I've sold four or 5,000 copies of that, which these days is quite a lot in the Australian market, right? But the reality is it's still kind of peanuts in the sense compared to what it does for me. You know, one keynote speaking job for $10,000 versus I'm going to sell a lot of books to make 10 grand, you know? So, so my business model is very much around using that book as a as the the start of the interaction you know for for clients and the the second part about that is so i've got a structured model i'm a commercial writer that side of things there the second part of this is there's books and there's books and and a lot of people write and publish books that, that are terrible yeah. you know and and so they they you know the, the book is I think, therefore, it is. And these are typically fat 50-year-old professionals who are writing about their old story about this is all the stuff I've learned over the years. And it, it's like that. No, no one wants it. It's like we need another leadership book like that, like we need a hole in the head. <laughs> right. yeah, absolutely. So I was talking to CEO of Simon & Schuster a while ago, and he was saying to me, if I see another fat 50-year-old white guy writing a, their their memoir leadership book, you know, I'm just going to throw up. There's, there's nothing. It's just... We, we don't want that. So again, adapt, evolve, stay relevant applies to us as writers. So 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 there are books that 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 are great as commercial kind of models, you know, and then there's books that are not. Nothing wrong with writing a memoir, but but don't expect it to to create a million dollars worth of revenue for it if it's not a particularly good book because it's just an I think therefore it is book. Yeah. It, you know, doesn't work. And the third part of this equation for me is what do you do with a book when you've got it? You know, I, I often ask people, you know, like, how's your book going? And they said, oh, it didn't, didn't do much for me. And I go, well, what did you do for it? That's and, exactly. And, and, and it's about leveraging. So to be honest, I'm a much better leverager than I am book writer. You know, like I, 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 I years ago when my first book came out, 101 Ways to Market Your Business, pretty basic kind of an idea. 
published by Alan Unwin. And and the you know the the book came out, and I remember like a couple of weeks later, everything's gone quiet. And I remember ringing because I expected my Ferrari to be delivered by that stage. <laughs> I think and most I like, riders do. <laughs> the, the book's out, cleared the parking space in the garage, waiting for a beep, <laughs> beep, beep, beep for the truck to lower it down. And I remember ringing my publisher, Ian Bowering, who was just the most wonderful, wonderful man. And uh, and, and and he had the come to Jesus conversation with me, you know, and, and he said, it's your job. You know, we've created a fantastic book. It's out there. You've got your three hours of publicity, which 300 books get split up, you know, into one yes. year. Now it's up to you. That was a great conversation, though, because it taught me that it was up to me as an author. And everyone thinks that, you know, it's going to end up being here, being there and all the rest of it. But you've got to leverage your book. Yeah. And and I my author students hate this line, but but you know the reason I'm successful as an author is because I leverage my books every single day of every single week of every single month of every single year of every single decade. Yeah, and that's it. It's as easy as that. You know, and and you, and and you it, can't be afraid to do that. You just you've got to feel you can't be so. Oh, I shouldn't push it, or I shouldn't. Um, you just got to get it out there. I mean, I was the same way. I knew because the reality is you can't rely on the publisher to sell your book. Ooh. The publisher is not going to sell your book. You've got to. Um, and, and I realized that after about the first couple months and I thought, <laughs> okay. and I then developed a book club where then the corporates buy the book and then we have a book club and then it's got right idea. Thought, otherwise I'm going to have a hell of a lot of books in my garage <laughs> for the next five years. Right. And that's so true. You have to really just be the marketer. And that's why I think your academy would be so beneficial for anybody who is um, looking to write a book because you Thank really you. do need to get the advice of people who have gone through it about how to do it. And it's, you know, it, you you really got to put time into it, almost a business plan. Don't you it, say it's the it's a do. business after you've done after you've published the book, you actually start the business. It is. Repackage, republish, run yeah. workshops, run coaching around the content. You've got to do a huge amount. Publishing the book is one part. One and, just and, beginning. And, and it's just the beginning. The hard work starts the day the books arrive. And and that takes a little bit for people to get their head around because it's like surely the hard work is done. That's I've just that's given birth. Thought. I've just given birth to my baby. Isn't it? I know. Mama? I know. Like everyone's going to want to buy it, but but it's really interesting because I I, I have the luxury of hindsight, you know, and, and and the history, you know, to look backwards and to go looking back at that, like what did I do well with that book? What didn't I do as well with that one? And to look at. You know, I, I just have the model, you know, my new book comes out. I, I, I make sure the book is relevant. I make sure it's well-researched. It's, you know, it, it's like all of those kind of elements. So I make sure it's the right kind of book, not just a I think, therefore, it is kind of book. Um, but, but it's really interesting. Um, I look back now and I look at every single major opportunity in my life. That, that, and you know what? They, I do an opportunity map back to where did that opportunity come from? Every single one, bar none, I can trace back to me physically handing someone a copy of one of my books and at, at an event, on a plane, in a line, checking into a hotel, it, wherever it might be, that it all goes back. This $250,000 project came from me giving a guy a copy of one of my books seven years ago at an event on the Gold Coast. Every single major opportunity comes from 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 that 
And and that's why I like it's hilarious. See, I get emails from people all the time saying, "Oh, I sat next to you on a flight to Canberra. You know, you gave me one of your books. I don't even know which book it was then. <laughs> you know, and I, we'd love you to come and talk at our event in um in you know whenever it is kind of thing. This sowing of seeds, you know, and 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 this and doing it every single day. Like I never leave home without a couple of books. I, I'm doesn't matter where I'm going. I've always I've always got a box of books in the back of the car. I used to before COVID. I used to have boxes of books at every hotel that I stayed at in Brisbane, Sydney, or Melbourne. So I always had books on hand. Every hotel I stay at, I sign a book and leave it for the general manager of the hotel. You know, I you know, and I've got a customer service book. So sometimes I'll leave that one there and say, "You really need to talk to me." You know, like <laughs> you know, and and other times it's not. But there's all of these opportunities. But but once you start to to get a leveraging mindset together, because it doesn't come naturally and it is hard. I, I know I make it sound kind of easy, but I was very embarrassed and a bit awkward about calling myself an author at first because I didn't write real books. I just wrote these little 101 words, you know, 101 tips books. They're not real books. It's not an Ernest Hemingway book or whatever. And I remember my my, my publishers, after my third book, they gave me a meter-long business card that was um that I had to fly home with and it was on timber and it couldn't bend and the whole idea of this was so that I couldn't hide it away somewhere so and their argument was when are you going to call yourself an author you know stop this these aren't real books you've sold 100,000 copies of that one you've sold that you've you're Australia's number one small business author there's the word author in there you're an author but oh you know self-worth oh they're imposter not real books. syndrome imposter yeah. syndrome Christina all those things you know come into play but, but you know what that boils down to is that the fact is you've got to be, um, it, you, you're not afraid, even though internally when someone starts out, they might be afraid, but you got to push yourself to go, no, I've got to market this. I'm going to, and I love that idea. Give it to the people, the general manager at the hotel or give it to, the, and you got to be out there, don't you? You can't be stuck every at home. Every day. You got to be day. out there. You know, if I'm not sending out 15, 20 books a week, to prospective clients, speaking clients, media contacts, you know, reading in the paper, there's a new CEO at wherever, you know, if I'm not actively sending out books every week, you know, and, I, and fortunately I live across the road from a post office here in Hobart, you know, like if I'm not sending out a pile of books and giving away a thousand books a year, probably at least then I'm not really doing my job. And that to me, that's my marketing budget. That's my whole marketing division is these books. Every three years, new book comes out, you know, have another book come out. You know, that's a model that I'm kind of in now. About every two, three years, bang, new one comes out. And the process, you know, leverage off of leverage, you know, leverage off of what we've got, you know. Because that's a business. I mean, you're treating it as a proper business and this that's is right. what you've got to do. And that's part of my marketing budget. I mean, I hope the people that are listening understand that you know these things don't don't just happen overnight and it takes a lot of hard work and a lot of thought and a lot of perseverance and also you know believing in yourself it uh, most of it though is the hard work hard work the routines the structure the 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 making it sounds like intense right to say oh, i got to leverage every day every, you know rah, rah. but after a while it really just becomes second nature like i don't have to think to put books in my bag if i'm like this afternoon i'm going to get a haircut the thing i'll do just as i'm leaving the door when my books are all piled there is grab a couple of copies because i never know who i'm going to meet i never know and if worst comes to worst i give a copy to, to the barber and you never know who he knows and, exactly. And, and the worst that happens is 
he now has a book there that's going to help him to build a better business. So there's a bit of karma in there as well that I think, you know, that that sometimes even just doing that is of setting the right intent, you know, out there as well. So it's a, it's a very, it's, I know that's a bit, a bit out there, but, but it, I, I believe that that is a big part of this as well. The most important part comes back to what I was saying before about I'm a commercial author. And that to me is being, that's a, that's what being a commercial author is all about. If my job is to use these books to grow my business, generate revenue, whatever it might take, then then I need I, I have to be pretty smart about how I do do that. Um, and it, it's all the parts that let most authors down, unfortunately. So plenty of great books out there that never see the light of day, not because it's a bad book. It's the opposite of that. It's just that the author doesn't really know how to leverage it or they struggle with the imposter syndrome element of it, whatever it might yeah, be. Exactly. I love your um, I love your saying that you have about the only people who don't have imposter syndrome are the ones that should. Mm, yeah, I, oh, I, 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 it's so true. I see that with speakers and authors. If someone comes to me, who am I to write a book? And all the, I hear that all the time and go, great. That shows that there's some humility and there's, you know, the, I, I get the be- the chest beating that 50-year-old guy wants to write a book kind of element of the partner of a big law firm or something like that. And you go, eh, you, you, we probably need a little bit of humility in here to kind of, you know, to 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 calm us down, talk us off the talk us off the uh, the the um the oh god, like the poet's corner. What do you call it? Talk us off the stage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No. <laughs> oh my gosh, we could talk about this for a year. we're we're almost coming to our time. Can you believe it? <laughs> I know, I know, and you're lucky to get that word in edgeways with me, of course. You know, <laughs> oh, no, no, it's bad, it's bad. Well, I'd like to sort of um, maybe just put it out there to each of us to talk about, um, just to, for to wrap it up about okay. what are what are some of the things that you would um, advise someone who was making that career transition later on from mm-hmm. the the corporate escapee, um, and what into a new journey what do you think that they should look at doing um uh and keep in mind so um andrew i i think uh that you have to go into it with a with a with a mindset that is that um you've got a lot to learn when you 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 start that next journey you know appreciate your expertise and your knowledge in a certain area but you've got to package it you've got to bundle it you've got to manage it you've got to operate in a completely different way and i think the most important part about that is to actually get excited about it it's an awesome thing to make that transition to run your own business is difficult it's a nightmare it's fabulous it's uncertain it's great it's it's this <laughs> this roller coaster ride. It, it, you have to be okay with that, and and if you're okay with that, and you 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 really embrace embrace that side of it, then then you'll have an amazing transition. But but if you try to recreate a smaller corporate entity and do a smaller version of the company that you left out here, it's going to be a much harder a much harder ride. I think you've got to kind of really go, this is something new. I've got to bring what's going to work for me and I've got to be really open-minded and have some humility in that particular pathway as well. Absolutely. Christina, what about yeah, you? Absolutely. I would be, I agree absolutely with all the things that Andrew was saying. It is a roller coaster ride. I'd be talking to as many people that I could find that have done it before 
to actually learn about what happens in real life. Because I think a lot of people go into this transition with a fantasy in mind of how it's going to be. And it will never be that. It'll always be something different. So go and talk to as many people as you can find that have been on that on that journey and hear from them. And you'll hear all the extremes. You'll hear everything. But do it anyway. And I absolutely agree with, agree with Andrew. Got to be passionate about whatever you're doing because if you're not, it's not worth it. You've got to be passionate about it. You've got to be having fun doing it. And you've really got to have a... Um, keep that curiosity and have a learning mindset because if you don't have a learning mindset or a, 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 a mindset around continuous growth, continuous improvement, you're going to struggle no matter what you do. So stay open, keep learning, and keep talking to people that know more than you do. You know what's really, thanks for that, what's really um, struck me in this conversation today is that when you are going through that, um, transition, Andrew. <laughs> the um, you you can't stop your hustle. Like you can't. You still have to hustle, no matter what what age group you're in, where where you are in your career. And the and that's that has really struck me today. Like here, you've written all these books, and you're still grabbing your books, going to the barbershop, <laughs> and you're still putting the box of books, and you're still hustling. And anybody who's had their own business, you can't lose your hustle. The hustle is a continual thing. That's the only way you're going to grow your business or grow your, you know, even if, whether it's a, a one person business or bigger, you've got to keep that hustle and that enthusiasm and basically sell what you have. And you got to be out there. You're not going to be able to hand that book to anyone if you don't walk out your front door. <laughs> You know, get out sure. there and see people. So I think yeah, that right. is a really good, a good lesson for anyone to know that whatever stage they are in their career, that enthusiasm for what you do has gotta gotta be maintained throughout that whole time period, basically. So this has been such a great conversation. We can really continue. It, it has. It has. We could talk all afternoon. I think it's such an it is an interesting take, isn't it? You know, on, on that side of things with that transition, um, that transition out. So, um, yeah, yeah, very interesting, very interesting. Absolutely. And I just had a thought when I fly next time, I'm going to leave a book in the, the Qantas Club. <laughs> I'm going to put them in the little, in the little, um, space in front where the seat is. <laughs> Now we're talking. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Maybe I'll <laughs> maybe I'll write on the back. You know how they you send the book and you say now send this to and see if it comes back to you. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Uh, that's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for um, being our guest Thanks, today. Andrew. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Judith. Thank you, Christina. Lovely to chat to you both. And uh, yeah, lots of fun. That was really good. Thanks, Thanks Andrew. For more information about Every Step and our guests, head to everysteppodcast.com. To be notified of new podcasts, please subscribe via your favourite listening platform. And of course, follow us on social media and direct message us to share your ideas about guests or topics.